Hola. Hello and welcome to this edition of Outside the Box Score. I am your host, Jonathan Michael, and as always, I will be joined by my co-host, the marvelous Joey Thompson, in just a few minutes. But before we get started, I want to mention to you that this podcast is brought to you by Rakuten. Rakuten is as easy as one, two, three. You start by going to Rakuten's website and find your store. These are the stores that you normally shop at. Macy's, eBay, Kohl's, Old Navy, Lululemon, Nike, Gap, Adidas, Levi's, Crocs. There's too many to mention, folks, but you go through Rakuten, you shop on their websites as usual. That's step number two. And number three is you get paid because you're earning cash back. You get paid via PayPal or check. Simple as doing the shopping that you already do at the places you already do it for the prices that you already pay, and you get paid to do it. How simple is that? Up to 15% cash back. And when you sign up through our special link in the podcast description, you'll get rewarded. Get $10, folks, just for signing up. So why not give it a try? Also, want to mention to follow along with us on Twitter. You can find us at J-M-O-T-B pod at M-T-O-T-B pod. We'd love to interact with you there. Also find me writing in various places on the internet, sharing blogs, sharing other thoughts on the issues that will all be shared via Twitter. We only do this once a week, but there is more content that we're putting out and you can find it there. Without any further ado, let's get into the episode. Let's kick off our first quarter and talk about the richest contract in professional sports history. Patrick Mahomes got $500 million over the next 12 years. Yet he still only carries a cap hit of $5 million this season, $24 million the next, and $31 million the following season. A very team-friendly contract for how big that initial number is. Still sitting at only, I say only, but $41 million per year. A bargain for Patrick Mahomes. There's a significant number of agents and commentators out there who say he got a bad deal. He left money on the table. I understand the logic. The market says he could have gotten more. Could have gotten a deal for four or five years and gotten another deal as the market would conceivably go up. There's a saying, though, in the market. A market is reacting to one of two feelings, either fear or greed. I would argue that Mahomes and his agent were governed by fear. That sounds negative, But fear isn't a bad thing. If you see a lion, you should be fearful. Stay out of the cage. Fear is what keeps us alive. It keeps us safe. You know who's safe? Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes negotiated and signed his deal with a healthy amount of fear. Just because the NFL salary cap has gone up every single season since 1980 
does not mean that it will in the future. It's been about as recession-proof as possible, but there's no guarantee. And when you get to a number, 200, 300, 500 million, does it really matter anymore? Do you think you can live with two Lamborghinis? Do you think you can live with taking the G5 to the private island instead of the G6? By the time you hit $100 million, you've secured your family's future and generational wealth. The rest is just showing off. And in this deal, Patrick Mahomes certainly secured generational wealth. Dak Prescott, on the other hand, he doesn't have a deal. He doesn't have that long-term security, that generational wealth that he could have. His time to get a deal done expired on Wednesday this week. Dak will be playing on the franchise tag. Dak and his agent wanted to reset the market. Remember that? Dak wanted to be the highest paid quarterback. Sounds pretty greedy, doesn't it? The Cowboys reportedly offered him as much as $33 million a year. Good luck with that in the future. Mahomes is making 41 mil most years on his deal. Dak doesn't quite look like he's worth $33 million anymore. Oh, and by the way, with all this COVID stuff going on, teams are going to lose revenue. There's going to be less games, less fans, assuming there's even a season. That means the salary cap is going down. Perhaps as much as $50 million next season when Dak can renegotiate a contract again. Mahomes, he's got his $500 million. He's safe. Salary cap goes down. Doesn't matter. Warren Buffett said it. He said, be fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful. That sounds about right in this situation. It is now time for the best part of our show when we bring in the marvelous Joey Thompson. How are you doing today, Marv? Hey, Jonathan. I'm doing great, man. Just trying to enjoy the weather. Uh, counting down the days for sports to start up again. How about you, man? We are officially two weeks away as we record this from the NBA kicking off. I hope that it uh, goes off without a hitch. I'm really excited for that as well. Looking forward to it. But in the meantime, Marv, I have some questions for you. I want to know what you think the Mahomes, the Patrick Mahomes deal does to the Dak Prescott contract negotiations, as well as the quarterback market as a whole. I think uh, Mahomes' contract helps a lot for guys like Dak Prescott in the near future. Why I say this, uh, the way Mahomes' contract was structured, it was a supposedly a 10-year contract, which in return turns really into a 12-year contract. And so teams are going to find ways to get creative with it. And I think for guys like Dak Prescott, he's looking at it and he's thinking, man, I could probably get away with basically with murder and get what I'm asking for originally, which was, what, $40 million a year? Uh, I did hear rumors during the deadline for franchise tag players to negotiate contracts that him and the Cowboys were close to signing a 
$35 million a year contract with about $110 million guaranteed. But, of course, both parties dropped the ball at the last minute. They ran out of time, and they weren't able to uh, successfully process that deal. So I think it works in favor of Dak. Now, if Dak plays well this off season, this season and comes in and takes the, play, uh, the Cowboys to the playoffs, then I can see him getting or asking for even more than $40 million uh, due to the fact that the NFL could make a lot of money on TV revenue because, of course, during this COVID era, a lot of people are going to stay home and not go to the games and watch a lot of the games on TV, which will raise ratings and ratings equal more revenue, more money uh, for the NFL. So I think this works into the favor of Dak and future quarterback uh, contracts in the next fall, next couple of years. Now, Marv, I love you. We agree a lot of times, but this time I could not be on the further opposite side than you. There's a couple things that come into play here. You mentioned the TV ratings and the revenue. You make a great point because I did not see it that way, but you are correct. More TV ratings, more people watching at home is actually, in many cases, worth more than the revenue at the stadium. However, there are two pieces to the puzzle that uh, hurt him in the short term when he's up for the contract negotiations next year. One, these games, these revenue drivers at the stadium, they make about $20 million a game in the big markets. That's a lot of money that they're going to be losing out on in the short term. And the second part of that is, while you're right, it's going to equal more money in the future. Those TV ratings, those TV deals are going to be negotiated in that in the next contract. This contract that's up, or, or I shouldn't say up, but it's already negotiated right now. So it's not going to be for a while. And Dak Prescott has to negotiate next season. He may end up gambling on himself and winning, but I see it in an entirely opposite way as you. I look at Patrick Mahomes' cap numbers. It's mostly 41, 41, 41 million. Then there's like a 47 and a 59, but we're talking like 2025 by the time it gets to 59 million a year. We're hoping the cap is up by then. Mahomes compared to Dak Prescott, I really don't even, you can't even compare them. Mahomes is a fail safe. He's as close to perfect as you can get. And he's making 41. I look at Dak and say, yeah, you're probably about 75% of that. So I'll give you $30 million. Plus, the argument that I've always made about Dak is he makes all that money from Dallas and being the quarterback of America's team. So it's like you're earning $40 million anyways, dude, and you're only 75% of the quarterback that Mahomes is, and the salary cap went down. What am I missing here, Marv? Is there any counter-argument that you have to that? I agree with that. Um, he isn't the same type of quarterback. He doesn't have the same accolades as Mahomes has, but... Like you mentioned, he's gambling on himself. And if he can some way, somehow take the Cowboys deep into the playoffs, then he hits the jackpot. If he struggles this season, then, of course, the Cowboys dodge a bullet. So do I think he's worth all that money? As I said in the past, I don't think he is. But the way the quarterback market is going it's you know going into his favor, so we'll we'll see how it all turns out. Uh, come season start, how he plays and how the off season transpires next year. 
On the big number, on face value, you could say it goes in his favor. 10 years, 500 million, richest contract in sports history. I get that argument, but I'm not seeing it. It goes the total opposite way. You got to break it down by cap number. I am in the market, right? Trading stocks and and that kind of thing. It's a hobby I have. It's an interesting piece. And the way I try to look at it is... You want to limit downside while increasing upside. So I want to take something that could lose maybe 10% reasonably, predictably. That's my bottom ceil- uh, bottom floor, but my ceiling is like 200 or 300%. And with Dak Prescott, he was offered somewhere between 33 and $36 million a year. He could have that long-term deal locked up right now, have nothing to worry about. So I understand and I respect the gamble, but... The ceiling, Mahomes is 41. That's what I'm looking at the ceiling is. And he had 36. He really doesn't have a lot of upside from there. Let's get into our second quarter and talk about the name change of the NFL franchise in Washington. Dan Schneider, under the pressure of a plethora of sponsors, has finally agreed to change the name of the franchise in Washington. Now, most people, including myself, think this is probably a good thing. The world is probably a better place without that name, a name that in some opinions is akin to the N-word for Native Americans. Yet, of course, a significant group of people are upset about this change. I've seen everything from Dan Schneider cave to a leftist mob to let's call them the Washington Snowflakes, even the White House chiming in, citing a 16-year-old poll saying that Native Americans would be very angry by the name change. Look, I get it. People don't like change. It actually often perplexes me how adverse most of us are to change. But I get it. I struggle with it too. Change is new. New is unfamiliar. New is difficult. It's a challenge. You have to adapt. You have to do things differently than you've often done them before. But change is new. And you know what else is associated with the word new? New beginnings, new friends, new business, new house, new car. All those things sound pretty good to me. In five years, and probably sooner than that, when we talk about the team in Washington, The name is going to be an afterthought. Nobody's going to think about it. It won't even be mentioned. The people in Washington will love the team the same. Cowboy fans will still hate them the same. Franchises change names all the time. The Sonics, that was an iconic brand. Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant made you forget pretty quick playing for the Oklahoma City Thunder. When the Pelicans rolled out the new logo, changing from the Hornets. That was kind of a weird and stupid looking logo. But you don't turn the TV off because you want to watch Zion Williamson. Who cares what jersey he plays in? Who cares what logo he's wearing? They just want to see Zion play basketball. We love sports because of the players, because of the game. We want to see them play at the highest level to compete it's the quality of the product whether this team is good or not is all that's going to matter to washington fans to dallas fans to nfl fans 
everywhere. I understand that the old name, the old logo has meaning, has significance, has memories for people, for fans of the franchise. But a new name, a new logo is an opportunity for new memories, new wins, new Super Bowls, all well, arguably making the world a better place, free of discrimination, free of hurt feelings. And I hope all of us will start to see it as a good thing. Marv, you are a great person to ask this next question here. You spent a lot of time living, growing up in the D.C. metro area. So you know a lot of uh, fans of that team in Washington, who is now nameless for the time being. I get it. People love their team. They love the memories. They love uh, what they've known and what they've grown up with. But I also argue change is, is good. There were maybe a handful or, or a large number. I'm not exactly sure. I'm not an expert to speak on it. But people that were offended by the name, if we can put that behind us and the team in Washington still profitable and still in the NFL, that's all that matters, right? Is there anyone who's even going to remember this five years from now? Is it even going to be a topic of conversation? And what does this team in Washington need to do, Dan Schneider, the ownership group, down to the coach and Ron Rivera, to make these new positive memories and to make this team competitive again? I did grow up in the Washington, D.C. area for many years. Uh, I got to see the Washington franchise have winning seasons, losing seasons. And let's put it like this. I don't know one soul that was offended by the name of the Washington franchise. But I'll tell you this. If that same team, once they do change the name and start winning games, everyone will forget. I look at it this way. They're building a, a, a new culture in Washington. They hired a new head coach. They hired a new coaching staff, a whole new front office. They're basically rebuilding from the inside out, and they're going to go ahead and change the name, which basically is uh, how I say the team is being reborn. Now, how this will be a successful transition is if the Washington franchise start winning games. That's when everyone will start forgetting what they used to be called. And here's why. In the last five years, they've been a putrid franchise. They haven't won many games. So what's the best cure for any bad thing that's occurred is winning. If you win, everyone forgets. And I like what they're doing. Ron Rivera is building a, a strong culture there in D.C. He's a very smart, defensive-minded coach. He brought in a lot of smart guys to help mold that team. And I look at it kind of like when the Supersonics moved to Oklahoma City and became the Thunder. The Supersonics were pretty bad during the time that they were drafting guys like Kevin Durant, uh, Russell Westbrook, and James Harden. All those guys were top five picks. So what does that tell you? They were a really bad franchise before they moved. Once they moved Oklahoma City Thunder, they started winning. And as they started winning, they started growing a big fan base 
And everyone completely forgot about Seattle Supersonics. They were like, Seattle who? Because the Oklahoma City Thunder was that team that everyone was rooting for. And no one, to this day, if you ask someone, hey, did you know that the Oklahoma City Thunder used to be called the Seattle Supersonics? They'd be like, what? They wouldn't, they wouldn't remember because they're so used to seeing the Thunder win that they completely forgot they were the Supersonics. So what I believe is going to happen in Washington, they're going to go ahead, as I mentioned before, continue building the culture. As long as they continue going in the right direction, ain't nobody going to remember what they were once called before in, you know, in the past. It is a great time to pivot and change the name because this team is very valuable in Forbes and in all the reports because they're in a major metro area. But that stadium is empty. I don't think the brand has ever been worth less in terms of uh, cachet and in terms of importance and in terms of tradition. The uh, franchise in Washington has had a losing tradition for the last 20 years. And I'm not a member of the PC police. I'm not part of the boycott crowd. But I also feel like if it offends a group of people, a whole nationality perhaps in our country should probably get rid of it and move on from it, especially if it's part of a losing culture and a losing franchise. It's just an all-around loser. They did bring in Ron Rivera. They do have a young quarterback. I'm about as optimistic as I could possibly be that Dan Schneider is going to let go of the reins and let someone else run the team because him running the franchise is a disaster. He's proven that for the last two decades. So it's going to be a good pivot. And to your point with the Supersonics and other teams that have changed names, it's a total afterthought. I know I've seen photos on the internet, you know, the memes, Marv, it's like, Fans will say this is fake, and it shows Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant in the Supersonics uniform because nobody remembers. Nobody cares. We want to watch great players play at the highest level in the most important games. And if this team can get there, that's what we'll remember. And whether they're called the Red Tails or the Red Hawks or the Red Wolves, whatever they're called, the Generals, the Monuments, all these names that are out there, we're going to judge them by whether they win or whether they lose, and we'll have commentary on that. It could be a hard time to give up that revenue, and I always have understood that argument since Dan Schneider made it in 2013. We'll never give up this name ever. It's very, it is very valuable financially, but they're gonna, they're still an NFL franchise, and uh, they can build a whole new tradition and make it far more valuable if they actually win football games and put fans in the stadium. Let's shift into our third quarter, our weekly segment, as we go around the nation. We're going from the East Coast to the West Coast in the NFL, making our predictions. We are now in the middle of our country, but we're going to the South in the AFC Divisional Round. The South, here we go. Not surprisingly to anyone listening, I have the Jaguars in last place at 1-15. This is intentional in Jacksonville. The tank is on. They want Trevor Lawrence. That'll be the good thing that happens next year. As I've said, I go through and pick each game, each schedule as I go through. And the Jaguars, every time I see them on someone else's schedule, it's always a loss. 
I have them at one in 15. They're going to find a win somewhere along the way, but they're really bad. They traded Calais Campbell, their star defensive end. They traded AJ Bouye after trading Jalen Ramsey, their two top-notch corners. They've intentionally gotten rid of all their talent so that they can rebuild young and get a franchise quarterback, which they do not have. I love Gardner Minshew. He's a good story, but I'm not so sure he is the future of the franchise and going to be able to carry them to the Super Bowl. 1-15, Jaguars in fourth place. This may come as a surprise to some people, but I have the Titans at 7-9 and in third place. You can run, but you can't hide. That is the mantra for the offense in Tennessee. You can continue to run with Derrick Henry, who is a great player. He is an incredible running back. He is like the Hulk coming out of the backfield. But you can't hide Ryan Tannehill forever. They're going to get film on him. They're going to figure out how he runs this offense. It's going to be a a step-back year. They're set up for a step-back. They don't have an elite quarterback. They're playing a division winner's schedule. Uh, They also have Logan Ryan and Jarrell Casey as departures from their team, two of their defensive anchors. I like Mike Vrabel, and if there's a team I'm going to be wrong on this year, it could very well be the Titans. Uh, They could very well overperform. But in this weak division, even so, I see this team set up for a big fallback here from that first place finish where they were competing with the Chiefs and beat the Ravens. It's going to be a step back this year. Texans, same spot. You could argue whether who's two and who's three, but I have Texans at seven and nine for two very obvious reasons. They traded DeAndre Hopkins and Bill O'Brien is still their head coach. They do have an underrated group of wide receivers. I'll give them that. A lot of speed on the perimeter. But Deshaun Watson, the criticism of him is that he's not very fluid within an offense. He likes a big body receiver to throw it up to while he's improvising. And I can see him taking a step back this season. I know he's the Michael Jordan of football and he's Superman and everyone loves him. I still love him. I just think it's going to be a big adjustment with the bad defense that they have with the mediocre offensive line. And that's being kind. It's going to be a difficult year for Deshaun Watson to make that adjustment and the Texans Pretty tough schedule. They made the playoffs as well. They're going to struggle, 7-9. and nine. And the Colts, obvious first place here. The best offensive line in football. They added Jonathan Taylor out of Wisconsin, who's going to be a stud in the NFL to pair with the already effective Marlon Mack in that backfield. Phillip Rivers, I get it. He's the definition of immobile. He's old, and that's going to limit their offense to an extent. But when you have the best offensive line in football with the level of experience and the football brain that he has, he's going to have a huge resurgence this year. When he was with the Chargers, they had one of the worst offensive lines in the NFL. Big bounce back for him. Even if he does get hurt, which He never gets hurt. He's been on the field every game for 14 straight years. They have arguably the best backup in the NFL in Jacoby Brissett, who was a very competent starter for the time that he played in Indy. He played in fill-in roles and was the starter last season. Colts are easy first place here, 11-5. and Some have him sleeper for the Super Bowl. I think it's possible, albeit unlikely. This team is very good. Chris Ballard is one of the best general managers in the league. Marv, you've heard the predictions. I know you have your own. Let the people know. We agree on the Jags, except I have them winning two games. I believe they're possibly the worst team in football. Uh, Then we have the Texans. This is where we got a little difference. Texans, I have them at 6 and 10. I just don't, I I think too too many changes were made for that team for me to 
believe in them. Uh, Bill O'Brien, this, I believe this is his last season as the head coach of the Houston Texans after making so many bowhead decisions in the past. It's finally going to come back to bite him. And I think that the Texans will be on the field and a lot of these guys are going to give up early in the season and that's going to affect them and they're going to end up winning six games. I have the Titans, which is another disagreement uh, that we have. I have the Titans at nine and seven. The Titans are a sneaky team. They normally start the season slow and then they pick it up in the uh, winter time when it means the most. And that's what they did this past season. They were at one point four and five and then finished the season, I believe nine and seven last year. So I'm going to give them an identical nine and seven season. Uh, they're going to ride Derrick Henry the same way they did last year. Tannehill gets another season in the offense. I give them a nine and seven and have an opportunity to sneak into the playoffs again as possibly a six or seven seed. Then we have the Colts. We agree with the Colts, 11 and five. I don't see much weaknesses that the Colts have other than Phillip Rivers, but he makes them that much better and adds that win total, adds more wins to their uh, total. I believe they finished 6-10 and last year. Well, Phillip Rivers makes them that much better because he can make all the throws that they may need him to make. Uh, the Colts continue to build a really solid team. As you mentioned, their offensive line is possibly one of the best, if not the best in the NFL. They added some weapons at running back and wide receiver. So the Colts are pretty scary. On paper, they look really scary. So we're going to see how that turns out. I made the mistake of saying the Titans won the division, the Texans won the division. It was a one-game split. Where we disagree big is the Titans. I have them at 7-9. and nine. You have them at 9-7. and seven. The simple reason for me why I have them taking that big step back is they did get a playoffs team schedule. They have to play the Broncos in Denver to start the season. That's going to be a loss. They play the Steelers. They go to the Vikings. They play the Bills. All their out-of-division games are very difficult. They play Chicago, who's going to have a resurgent season. The Ravens, I, I just go down their schedule, and it's just like, I can't find a lot of wins here. They had go to Lambeau Field in December. I mean, good luck with all that. I, <laughs> I understand what you're saying. I do like the team. I like Mike Vrabel. And they do start playing well at the end of the season. They always come on strong. That's a sign of good coaching, figuring it out. Belichick, his uh, predecessor, the man that he learned from, team does the same thing. It's a mark of good coaching. You get stronger as the year goes on because that's when it matters. There's just not a lot of wins you can find there. And as they see Ryan Tannehill in this offense more and more, they'll find his weaknesses, find how to play him. Similar to how the Titans actually played the Ravens. They found Lamar Jackson's weakness. Give him cover zero, throw a bunch of pressure at him. Now Lamar Jackson has a chance to adapt. And we really agree on the Texans, by the way, with just one game difference. But Bill O'Brien is going to probably serve his last year as head coach. I think that's long overdue. And I'm really excited to see what's going to happen to Deshaun Watson's career after that because it could go nowhere but up after shedding the dead weight that is Bill O'Brien. Let's shift into our fourth quarter as we go into our patented quick hitters segment. We go around the leagues, get the news out to the people quickly. Here we go. Chris Jones, the defensive tackle 
for the Chiefs. We talked about it last show, Marv. You said, I don't know. I said, you got to get the deal done. They got the deal done. They're finding money under a couch cushion or something. Four years, $85 million. Do you like the deal? I love it. I love it. I love it. I thought I was wrong. I was wrong at first. thought that was going to not get done. But, hey, she's found a way. And then it went ahead and got it done after the Mahomes deal, which I did predict. I, I figured they were going to get the Mahomes deal done first and then take a look at Chris Jones. I just want to find out where they find all this money. I applaud the Chiefs for getting it done. Happy for Chris Jones. Love it. Yeah, if I remember correctly, you had the big problem with the salary cap and just saying it wasn't going to work out. Well, Mahomes took a large deal, but over a long period of time. It was quite team-friendly. It freed up some money for Chris Jones. He set the trend. Hey, take a little less money, dude. You're going to have plenty. We're going to win Super Bowls. Love the deal. This is the anchor to their defense. He brings the pass rush. He stuffs the run. He sets guys up to succeed around him, and it's a big deal for the Chiefs. Love it. They're going to be serious contenders, as we know, to win the Super Bowl once again. Another big NFL deal, Marv, Derek Henry signed a long-term deal. Four years, $50 million with $25.2 million guaranteed. Do you like this deal? I like it. You know, I was surprised by the numbers. It's a really team-friendly deal. Uh, it's a fair deal for Derek Henry. He gets his four years, his $25 million guaranteed. Uh, it's, it's a great deal for both sides. and. He'll still be pretty young when his contract comes up, so we'll see how it turns out for them. As a running back, you've got to get it while you can. The franchise tag pays almost $20 million, which is nice, but that puts another year's toll on your body, and it makes you less valuable when it comes time to negotiate contracts because, as we all know, running back shelf life is short. This is a great deal for both sides. He gets some guaranteed money. He gets security into the future. The Titans put 25 mil over the next two years. They're able to save a little bit on the cap instead of 20 million against one year. And it's really in line with the value of the rest of the contract. Le'Veon Bell kind of set the market four years, 52. This is four years, 50. So it's a really good deal for him. And I see him playing out probably most of the deal and getting most of the 50 million and if not more with the incentive. So really like the deal for both sides. There was another big contract, Marv, in the NFL. It was Miles Garrett of the Browns, five years, $125 million. This was pretty mind-blowing to me. What did you think about this deal? I was surprised uh, with basically what transpired last season where you suspended for the final six years. But, I mean, talent always outweighs everything. So the Browns were smart enough to get it done. They got their man paid. And if Miles Garrett can keep his nose clean and continue to produce, then the Browns got a great deal out of it. I could be totally wrong on this one, Marv, but I'm kind of on the opposite side. It's a lot of money for a defensive end, which that's kind of the market. I get it. I'm not a big fan of big defensive end contracts. But it is what it is. Fair market value, not a bad deal. The thing that I have an issue with 
The last time we saw this guy on the field, he was swinging a helmet at somebody's head. He has not played since. This is a new team, a new management team in the Browns front office, and they're doing the same old stuff. Bad judgment in signing. They're paying a lot of people a lot of money. I'm a fan of making him go out there and earn it, making him show us that he can behave himself on the field, not swing another helmet at somebody. If he gets suspended, he's already on a kind of watch list, if you will, kind of in the bad graces of the commissioner. They let him back in. But if he gets in trouble again, I don't think this should define him, but you're taking on a lot of risk putting all that money against the cap. So I'm not a big fan of this deal. Big fan of the other two, just not this one. In the NBA, there is a player hotline. Let's call it a snitch hotline, Marv. And there's been some calls after just a couple days within the bubble, guys breaking the rules and people telling on them. How do you feel about it? First off, I want to know who who's snitching on other players. I'm assuming it's bench warmers who are upset they're seeing stars doing whatever they want. So I'm assuming that's who's making all the snitch calls. But I think also a lot of these guys are setting themselves up because they're posting a lot of videos on, on Instagram and social media without, you know, wearing masks or gloves or anything to protect them from each other while they're quarantining before uh, the season starts. So a lot of these guys, are, like I said, they're, they're stitching on themselves, but I, I still want to find out who is the one that's behind the snitching phone calls, because that's, that's pretty hilarious that you got guys at this age and time still snitching on each other when we're trying to come together to, you know, make things work in Orlando and get this league started. I really can't believe this on two fronts. One, that you said, why are they snitching? And two, you've been there for two or three days now. You can't keep your act together. I mean, I get it. You shouldn't be snitching. These are your brothers. If they go out and get some Postmates, whatever, step outside the boundary for a minute, it's probably not going to matter. Although, like, dude, you're in a billion-dollar complex. There's plenty of food around. You only got to do this for a couple months. If you're one of the lesser teams, you only have to do it for less than a month. I mean, get it together. People are, we're so privileged as Americans, all of us, and NBA players are certainly privileged more than, than most of us in terms of finances and, and wealth. And it's like a billion dollar bubble isn't good enough for you. Kind of crazy, but the crazier story, like you said, Marv, really is like, who's snitching right now? Like, who's telling? It's got to be bench players that are jealous and want some more playing time to get people into mandatory quarantine, more practice, more playing time. News out of the NFL, they have COVID face shields. If you want to look it up, Google it. It's kind of a shield over the eyes like we see on the face mask, but it goes down to the mouth. It has air holes. What do you think of the uh, design, Marv? I like it. I was I was analyzing and taking a look at it. Uh, it's a pretty neat face shield that came up with. Uh, it's been months and months of research. And uh, I, I read that the 32 teams are going to all receive these face shields. So, players can try them out and see how it fits them. I think this is a right step in the right direction. Uh, hopefully it works out. Uh, if not, we'll see what the NFL can come up with. But we're about two weeks away from training camp and about, about a month and a half from the regular season starting. So hopefully they can get all this stuff uh, situated and it works out for the NFL and these players. 
I love, love, love the concept. I'm concerned about the functionality. If you look it up, the holes on the bottom are abundant enough, but they're pretty small. And if you've ever, ever worn a visor or anything of the sort, it can get very fogged up. I just really hope these work. They had scientists, they had the brightest of the, the bright working on this. Just look at the design right away off the cuff. And I'm just like, yeah, I'm not sure this is going to work. I really hope it does. I really hope a lot of players take advantage of it so that we can have a season as it is mostly spread respiratorily, getting it in the air, breathing on people, the viruses. So I hope it works. I'm just a little hesitant. I'm not sure it will. And last but not least, Marv, got a report that there will be no fans in Philly and Philadelphia for any sports for the foreseeable future. What do you make of it? I believe this is a tough blow for the city of Philadelphia. As they're known as very passionate fans, they bring life to each and every game they attend. Uh, they're known as ruthless. They're known as, as I mentioned, passionate. They're a crazy bunch. They just bring life to each and every event they, they're in. So it's going to be really odd to watch primetime games in the city of Philadelphia or even a Sunday football game in Philadelphia and no fans, because that's a big advantage that the the Philadelphia Eagles have is the fans. Uh, they're really loud. They get on the other team's nerves. They, they just make a big difference. And it, that's just going to be something new that a lot of us are going to have to get used to seeing this off this season. That's coming up. Sad news for Philly. I agree with all you said. I certainly understand the aspects of public health and what they're trying to do. I look at this as a bigger signal for concern to the rest of the NFL. We may be looking at games in the fall without fans, which is really no fun. It is part of what may be necessary. So it's not about fun, but I may throw off our picks, Marv. <laughs> We've been picking, assuming there were going to be fans, but now I'm a little worried about that as well. But I, I am concerned on a greater scale that it is going to linger into the season for more teams. How are they going to make this fair if Florida or teams that have been more lax about the rules can have fans and teams that are more tight on these rules can't have fans? I don't know how they're going to make it work. Is California even going to allow games to be played it's going to be very interesting. If if not, and the rest of the NFL is good to go, where are they going to go? So it's just going to be a very interesting season. A lot more to come on that in future episodes, I would assume. We hope it goes off without a hitch and everybody has their fans. It's looking after this Philadelphia news that that's not going to be the case. Folks, that is the end of our episode. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate all of you. If you could leave us a review wherever you may be listening. We would really appreciate it if you enjoyed it. Let us know. Let your friends, let your family, let other fans of sports know about the show. That's how we've been growing. We appreciate your help. We love you and we thank you. Marv, do you have anything else for the people? Thanks for all the support and the feedback we're getting from all the listeners. We appreciate each and every one of you. Continue giving us those great reviews and we'll continue to give you guys the best news on top, we're always on top of everything and we'll continue to keep updating you guys on anything that pops up, any uh, quick hitters and things like that. If you have any suggestions, feel free to reach, reach out to us on social media. 
Uh, we're always active on there and stay safe out there. Absolutely. We'd love to hear from you. Been a little bit less active lately, but if you're there, we're there. Just not a lot of live sports to talk about, but when you reach out, we're there. Love to hear what you guys have to say. That is it. And we'll talk to you later. Later, people. Hold up.